This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Uh, it is your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for, I guess, something that's going to be a, a, a semi-regular occurrence here as the summer gets going. Um, you know, you got to you got to keep the got to keep the. See, I can't even get my words out. I'm trying to say, you know, you got to keep it fresh. Got to you can't get too rusty. You know, I can't get to to next season. Uh, Post game live streams and be like, oh my god, I forgot how I forgot what I'm doing here. I forgot how to do one of these things. Um, so yeah, uh, we're gonna. Uh, several of us from Nick's Film School are gonna be getting on uh, in front of the old the old microphone, in front of the old camera uh, to go live at night or uh, or I guess at other times potentially throughout the summer uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, we got uh, Chris Persiani doing the draft stuff. We're of course gonna have a lot of Jeremy Cohen doing the cap stuff. Uh maybe a couple other couple other friends popping in here to do what they do. And we got me here to talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about on this uh late May evening uh as we prepare for Memorial Day weekend and get ready for a finals that seemed like it was going to be a sure thing. Um 24 hours ago and now has been, you know, thrown into a little bit of doubt. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I don't know if we're going to talk about that at all tonight, but yeah, I mean, um, I think where we're at right now in the off season, I, you know, it still feels like where I feel like after the finals ends, which obviously we're, you know, probably two, three weeks, two and a half, three weeks away from from that taking place. There's a little bit of a lull. Uh, and then we'll start to get some of the some of the rumors in in full swing. You know, a couple weeks ahead of the draft, week or two ahead of the draft. You know, like right, there's that it's it's weird because now the finals ends and if it's a seven game series, you get like you get like less than a week um between the end of the finals and, and draft night. So, or maybe it is exactly a week, something like that, whatever, whatever the case may be, but you don't get a lot of time. It feels like there used to be more time and now you don't get time. And obviously, you know, the draft is a big one. Um, and I think the draft is going to be a big one this year because, well, moves typically get made on draft night. And I think last summer may have thrown us off the scent a little bit for kind of how things usually go in the NBA because the Donovan Mitchell thing didn't really start to take flight until I guess, I don't know. We were into July already for sure. We were definitely into July. And then the Durant thing kind of that in a way sort of lasted most of the summer too. Most of the time though, you know, feels like, 
teams kind of know what's up. And, and this summer, it's obviously a little bit different because I think a lot of things hinge on a few teams and a few players, if you want to get down to it. I mean, you know, whether you're all in on the idea of trading for Joel Embiid or you think it's an absolute pipe dream or you think it's a horrible idea, I do think a lot of eyes will be on... James Harden and Philadelphia and Houston and what they decide to do. And Jeremy and I talked about it a little bit on uh, this week's pod about how it's always, you know, when you're dealing with, with a, a team and an organization and, and a player even that is not necessarily a rational actor um, kind of makes everything a little bit more interesting, you know, and then you got all your usual stuff like, you know, the Portland thing got more interesting once they got the third pick. Um, I mean, I think always people always have an eye on Bradley Beal in Washington. They uh, reportedly hired Michael Winger today to be Michael Winger. I think Michael Winger uh, to be their their head of basketball. I mean, their owner has come out and said outright, like, we will never tank. So, you know, take that take that for what it is. And there's some other other potential names in Washington, including an old familiar one that may be of interest uh, to to some Nick fans. But like, yeah, you know, it, it's the same situations around the league that we, we kind of have been watching for a few years. And then there's usually something that pops up that's a little bit unexpected. Um, you know, I think how, how this series ends for Boston is going to be interesting. It's a lot of money that they could give to Jalen Brown. Um, whether they want to do that or whether they want to explore their options. And if they do want to explore their options, what are those options? I think it's certainly interesting. Um, Toronto is another team that I find interesting and what might they do? I saw Kevin Danishevsky had a tag me in a little thread about how he thinks that, uh, you know, they're, they're ripe for a tank job and maybe Pascal Siakam becomes available. I mean, eyes have obviously been on OG Ananobi for a while. Um, but yeah, and you know, there's a couple other teams out there. I mean, it, it feels like there's a lot of smoke around the Bulls. Maybe we'll get into them. I don't think anybody really knows what the Bulls are doing. They're another team that after the season ended kind of came out and said, we're going to run it back and we're not, you know, we're not tanking. So a lot of interesting situations. Um, and then as far as the Knicks go, obviously they don't have a draft pick. Jeremy and I just talked all about that on the re- most recent episode. Um, and whether they're going to try to trade into, let's say, late first round, maybe early second round. I think me and him both agree that they there's a, a decent probability that they will try to do that. They have some different ways that they could do it. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. Uh, the Knicks, I'll say at the top, for anybody who may not know their, their situation in terms of the salary cap, the Knicks are... I, I'll, I say this with with some trepidation because last year, a lot of people looked at them and were like, well, there's no way they're getting under the cap. And guess what? They got under the cap. This is a little, this is a a, a bit of a further bridge. Uh, and it just, there is at, at least not that I could see no feasible, reasonable world in which the Knicks got far enough under the cap to really be a major player in free agency. Um, to say nothing of the fact that there is really nobody out there on the free agent market that is worth getting way under the cap for and doing all the things that you need to do to that the Knicks specifically would need to do to get under the cap. That said, they do still have options um, in terms of things that they could do. Obviously, they have a lot of tradable pieces, pieces that 
after the season they had in terms of young assets. I don't think anybody wants to trade, but they still have those guys. Uh, they have all their picks. Goes without saying. They have those protected picks that we've been now talking about for over a year. Um, and then most prominently, they have this full mid-level exception of $12 million. And that that is a real thing. And I would imagine that we're going to talk a little bit about potentially maybe some options uh, for for that. I was going through it right before I came on and in terms of kind of spitballing some players. And like, you know, it's $12 million. Sounds like a lot of money. And it is. And I think it is, especially since you are going to have teams, you know, that are already starting to get a little you know, going to already start to prepare for the new CBA and this lead apron and all the restrictions that come with that. And and they're not going to want to put themselves in a situation where they could be up against that even a couple of years down the line. But the Knicks are actually one of those teams where they have to start to think about going into the tax and then how deep do they want to go into the tax? Um, You know, there's a possibility that if they don't, I mean, they could even go into the luxury tax this year. They won't, but that is not off the table. It is It is certainly possible. But I think I would expect the Knicks to spend that full $12 million. I think they could get a good player with that amount of money, but they're going to have to be, you know, wise shoppers, uh, so to speak, because the, you know, the notion that you could get like what they need which we could, we'll talk a lot about what the Knicks need. And I, I think there's a lot of different ways to answer that question. I don't think there's like one path for the Knicks, which is um, part, part of what makes this summer so interesting is because they, they have a lot of different avenues in front of them. And the, you know, it's not like oh, one avenue is right. One avenue is wrong. How they go about these different paths are going to determine what the results are. Um, but I, I, I th- there's no one player type that that is like, oh, if the Knicks just got this in terms of the twelve million dollar exception, like they're they're home free, like they're gonna, they're, you know, that they they'll advance another round next year, whatever whatever your your definition is of of increased success, um, and that's especially because like that, you know, what what does everybody need? Everybody needs a two way wing, you know, a wing that could shoot, a wing that could keep you honest on defense. Um, and that you could just stick out there and he could be like the fourth best player on the floor for 30 minutes a night. Well, you know, guess what? Those guys now cost upwards of $20 million a year. Uh, so you're not getting it with $12 million middle-level exception. That said, there are still bargains to be found. Um, the team that I, I think most would favor right now to win the NBA championship got has Bruce Brown on... I think he's uh, he has a player option for next year. I think he's getting paid like $6 million. Now, Bruce Brown isn't a perfect player. Um, his shot comes and goes. But like that dude, incredibly versatile, defends up and up and down you know, positions. And as we saw during the Lakers series, he could certainly nail a three when you need him to. Um, you know, you could, there are bargains to be had. And then there are also... You know, Dante Givincenzo, a guy who's gonna who has a player option for this year. He settled on a four point five million dollar figure with the Warriors last year. He's gonna get a big raise. You know, that's a guy that Golden State, good job by them, get a nice bargain um in free agency last summer. Like those guys are out there, you know, and then there's opportunities to overpay for guys who are more name guys. 
Um, and there are certainly some name guys out there who the Knicks have been connected with in the past that are going to be on the market this summer. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much sense they, they will or won't make. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. My understanding from Andrew here in the the old, old chat box is that we have some questions already uh looking forward to answering as many as as many as i can tonight i I don't i don't think i have anywhere to be so whatever you guys want to talk about i'm game so andrew claudio without further ado if you okay here we go so my understanding is this is a two-part question from three i know many fans are conflicted on this, but Kristaps Porzingis just had arguably his best season this past year and played in 65 games. I need a drink already. Chris, talk about Kristaps Porzingis. He's no slouch defensively. He can create off the dribble and space the floor, which would open up driving lanes. How likely is a reunion? So I don't think I ever wrote this. In fact, I, I know I didn't write this. I, I I think I was going to, and I'm like, this is gonna this is gonna cause much undue attention. But when that article came out midway through the season, where Porzingis really, I mean, he kind of openly apologized not only to the fans of New York but to the organization. You know, in in his own way, uh, someone reached out to me who I, I I take what they say seriously and was like, "There, that was that did that that article did not go unnoticed, um, at you know within the within the walls of MSG." Now, take take that with many grains of salt. One, because as I always say, I'm not a member of the media, um, and I I'm not you know I'm not Ian Bagley, and I don't. I don't have the sources that he does or Fred Katz does or any of these people that you should absolutely listen to anytime they say anything. Um, but I took note. I'll just say that. I took note when this person said this to me. Also take it with a grain of salt because um, there are a lot of people within MSG who have, you know, quote unquote, like decision making, not power, but like, you know, their, their voice can be heard. But that doesn't mean everything because there are so many voices within MSG whose voices carry weight. Um, and just because one person or two people or whatever thinks that something might be a good idea, there might be two or three or four or five other people who think it's a terrible idea. All that being said, I think we know a couple of things. One, 
Um, I, well, I shouldn't say we know. Here's what I am assuming. One, I am assuming, and credit to Fred Katz because he actually wrote this in his article uh, from a couple days ago. I am assuming that every decision the Knicks make this summer will be made with one thought at the forefront, which is that how does how does this help Jalen Brunson? How does this make life easier for Jalen Brunson? How does it make it more likely that Jalen Brunson can take us where we want to go? And I don't say that to imply that I think Jalen Brunson could be their eventual like number one A or, you know, I, I think he's more like a one B. And I think there's going to be someone else and is going to need to to carry the majority of the load. And that is the other part of the summer. And it may not be this summer, maybe next year during the season and maybe next summer. I do think that they feel like they need another legitimate star player, a guy who you give the ball to could, you know, do the sorts of things that Brunson did in the playoffs. And I think they feel like if they get that second guy and pair him with Brunson, as long as they have a pretty good roster around him, around those two, they, you know, you could do the math. I don't know that anybody at this point believes that Chris Porzingis is that guy. I don't think he's that guy. Um, I think he is like, I don't want to call him a role player because he's higher. I think there's a, there's a level in between your true, true, true stars. And then you're like, you're, you know, you're very good role players in the league. And I think like that's that's where like Julius Randle falls. Like Julius Randle's a two-time all-star. Is Julius Randle the type of star player where it's like, okay, he's gonna be one of our two best players and he's gonna take us all the way in June? No, I don't think he is. And I think we've seen the reasons why that is the case. And there are other all-star level players. I'm not just picking on Julius Randle. Chris Christoph, Chris made an all-star team. You know, I but I don't think Kristaps is that level of player. But can Kristaps be your your third guy, can he be a vital cog in your system? Absolutely. I think Christoph Porzingis could be that. And I think he would welcome a reunion. I think the Knicks, again, some people within the organization might welcome a reunion as well. The problem here, there's a few problems. For one, I do not believe for a second that you could have a the sort of defense that succeeds in the in the playoffs with Kristaps Porzingis and Mitchell Robinson on the court at the same time. Kristaps Porzingis at this point is a five. Um, and you know what? Can you play him at times next to another big? Sure. That cannot be your de facto starting lineup because there's just there's just not the mobility. You know, it, it's just it's asking too much. I, it's a lot of length. It's asking too much. I, I don't buy it. Um, so that's number one. He, so if Christoph Porzingis is your center, okay, then what are you doing with Mitchell Robinson? Well, I suppose Washington could want Mitchell Robinson in a sign and trade. I, I you know, I don't know, but I think if the Knicks want Christoph Porzingis, well, why wouldn't Washington want Christoph Porzingis back? And they seem to have every indication of wanting him back. So, like, if you're agreeing to a sign and trade. And that's the only way that Kristaps would come here because he's an impending free agent. Um, what are you giving Washington for the right to to do that? Uh, 
Would he open up the floor? Absolutely. I think he would be a really good fit next to Brunson. I think he would open up the floor for Randall. I think a stretch five in general would would open up a a lot of things for the Knicks. And it would be something that cures a lot of the ills for when we saw their offensive breakdowns um, in the playoffs. I think Chris Stops could be a good enough defensive player. He's not Mitch, you know, and that hurts, but I think he's a good enough defensive player. I also think you're going to have to account for the fact that he is going to miss a lot of games, but so does Mitch then again. And, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily a high minute guy, but that's why I have Isaiah Hardenstein, right? So, like, I think the questions come down to does Chris Stops want to be here? Do the Knicks want him here? Is it worth, you know, d- d- does Washington want Mitch? Does somebody else want Mitch? Is there a three team deal that you could do? Um, you know, and, and can you work out a can you work out a deal? Uh, I don't think it's crazy at all. I, I don't think it's crazy at all. Um, just purely from a basketball standpoint, I think Kristaps Porzingis can help you win basketball games. It's, it's that simple. He's a, he is a he still has all the unicorn qualities. You know, even if he may not be the guy that was that existed before that you know fateful night. Um, against the Milwaukee Bucks, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's crazy at all. Um, Parvej Kumar, I hope I pronounced that correctly. If I didn't, I apologize. What should be the right move to not take a step back? Realistic trade targets. So, like Benji said this when we spoke uh, for the pod that came out today, and I'll just reiterate it. I, I think. The mentality of the organization this summer should first and foremost should be let's not make the wrong move. And I think if they go into it with a mentality of what is the move where we don't take a step back, I think that's the wrong mentality because the implicit in that asking that question is if we do nothing, that's not good enough. And the fact of the matter is, this is one of the youngest rosters in the NBA, youngest youngest rotations in the NBA. Let me be more specific. Literally, literally, every single player on this roster should be better next in this rotation. Excuse me, I keep saying roster. Rotation. Every single player in this rotation should be better next year. To say nothing of the fact that you can have Josh Hart for an entire season. So... I think doing nothing is better than doing a lot of the shit that is going to be rumored over the course of the summer. As far as realistic trade targets, that's such a hard question to answer because like, are we talking realistic star trade targets? Are we talking realistic trade targets to kind of bolster, you know, the fringes of your roster? I'll give you an example of what I mean. Paul George. Fred Katz in the article I just mentioned a minute ago mentioned Paul George. Um, Paul George has been mentioned at other times. I think Paul George, for what he is, which is a 30, what is he, 32, 33 year old guy who has some injury issues and has had, you know, ups and downs on the playoffs. I think purely from a basketball standpoint, aside from like, you know, very clearly not realistic trade targets like you know Giannis or something Nikola Jokic right aside from like those guys I think Paul George is probably about the best basketball fit in terms of like star level players that you're going to find for this roster 
Now, is that a realistic trade target? I have no freaking clue. I don't think so. I think the Clippers are just going to run it back again because why wouldn't they run it back? You know, what What do the Knicks or for that matter, any other team, what, what do they have to give them where it's like, well, you know, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. If you're going to trade Paul George, like you're not going to find a better version of Paul George because Paul George is the best version of Paul George and they're not going to upgrade to something else because they don't have the assets to do that. And if you trade him, are you going to trade Kawhi? And then what are you getting for Kawhi? And it opens up all. So like, is he a realistic trade target? I have no idea. I don't think so. But again, and then you get more and more realistic as you go through the different names all the way down to like, um, I'm trying to think who's like the most realistic star trade target. Like Zach Levine's name has been bandied about. Well, there's a reason Zach Levine's name has been bandied about. And that's because he's owed whatever the frig is owed, $160 million over the next four seasons. There's a knee issue. And there's a lot of questions about whether, you know, how much you could win with that guy for as talented as he is. And that's on the star end. And then you have like the sub star level. Like we just talked about Christoph Porzingis. That would need to be a sign and trade. Like here's a guy. No one's going to want to hear this, but I'll say his name anyway. You know, who's a player that would fit right in, in terms of what the Knicks could have used in these playoffs. Step step in, play 15, 20, 25 minutes a game as a backup swingman who you knew would be able to hit their rotations on defense, nail an open three-pointer, has been in the big moment before, doesn't shy away from the big moment, um, could put the ball on the floor, attack a hard closeout, is not going to make stupid errors. Alec Burks. There, I said it. Alec Burks has a $10 million team option. I would guess that the Pistons, because they're going nowhere and they have no reason to try to save $10 million on a guy who is worth, I would argue, at least that much in the open market, and he's an expiring contract, I would imagine they're going to pick up that team option and they're going to exercise or exercise it in a way where they bring Burks back. I think Alec Burks would be a great freaking trade target for the Knicks. But if you go and trade for Alec Burks, and again, I love Alec Burks, like that means someone, if you keep everything as is, that means someone in your rotation is no longer going to get time or as much time as they did. You know, whether it's a Deuce McBride or you could go up the ladder, is like Emmanuel quickly going to get less time? Is Quentin Grimes going to get less time? We already had those issues after they traded for Josh Hart. Josh Hart's going to continue getting a lot of minutes, you know? So, like, any way you slice it, there are downsides, you know, even if it's just young players on the roster, maybe not getting as many minutes as I'm sure every, you know, most fans would want them to get. Is it worth it? Like I've asked this question so many times I asked it before the trade deadline and I think they made the right decision, but like, it was a fair question to ask at the time. Like how much should the organization have invested in like Deuce McBride's continued development? Like, is it absolute rock solid, ironclad, Deuce of Pride needs 12 minutes a game next year or 15 minutes a game next year? Like, is that a necessary thing? You know, and we could ask this question about other players as well. So it's a dicey question. And, and it, 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 there's so many different variables, I guess, would be my answer. Uh, Matt Smith, what's going on, Matt? Good to, good to hear from you. Is there any concern that the wide open East will prompt the front office to make a move the fan base is vehemently against, i.e. Levine or Cat? I don't see Maury caving yet, so I'm more worried than excited. I think it's fair to be worried. And I think it's fair to be worried because 
Like, let's here. Let's just do a very, very quick exercise. How many in, in when you when considering the cost? And that's a key phrase. When considering the cost, because if you if Zach Levine cost you, um, again, I'm 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 making this up. If if Zach Levine cost you, uh, you know, let's say they pick up Derek Rose's uh, team option, right? That's fifteen million dollars. Um, uh, Evan Fournier's do almost nineteen, so that gets you up to uh, thirty four. Yeah, that gets you up to thirty four. I think that actually with the with the one hundred twenty five percent salary matching rule, like that actually might be enough. Um, let's say you have to throw an Obi top into. Okay, fine. If you get Zach Levine for for uh, Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, Obi Toppin, and you know two protected picks, and then um, you know, let's say the night after the draft, they could and they'll be able to trade this the night after the draft. You know, a a, a top five protected 2030 first round pick. Actually, I don't. Really, I really don't want to give up a distant first round pick. Let's just make it a crazy example. Of three protected picks, three protected firsts. The Bulls decide we're blowing it up. We don't want to be in the Zach Levine business anymore. Nobody else around the NBA wants to be in the Zach Levine business. Which again, it makes this unrealistic because I guarantee you, somebody out there would beat the offer that I just said. Um, but that's but my that's not the point. The point is, if you get even a guy like Zach Levine for that little, you're you're going to do it, and you'll figure out the rest later. But going through what it would realistically cost and Zach Levine and Carl Anthony Towns and any other imperfect player you want to talk about are going to cost more than that. How many perfect, like perfect trade targets are there out there where you'd be like, you know what, whatever the realistic cost is, let's say it's 25% past the realistic cost. Who is the player? How many players out there would Nick fans be like, Absolutely, sign me up. So, in no particular order, I'm just literally going down the standings. Giannis, not getting traded. Jason Tatum, not getting traded. Um, I don't even know if I should put Joel Embiid on this list because I think a lot of fans, I, I think there are a ton of fans out there that have a big problem giving up what it would take realistically to get Joel Embiid. But you want to throw Joel Embiid on there, that that's fine. Um, Mikael Bridges. Not getting traded, and sure as shit is not getting traded to the Knicks. Uh, I will throw Jimmy Butler's name onto this list. Uh, don't think he's going anywhere after this uh, playoff run. Unfortunately, um, there's one name I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over, uh, and I'll come back to uh, Jokic. Don't, don't, don't think Nikola Jokic is going anywhere. Uh, Devin Booker. Sorry, keep keep on moving. Steph Curry, eh, no, try again. Um, Anthony Edwards, don't don't think the Wolves are trading Anthony Edwards anytime soon. Uh, SGA, and even him, like you know, is he playing alongside Brunson? Whatever, they would figure that out. But we don't have to worry about it because Thunder are trading SGA. Uh, Luca, um, yeah, don't don't think that one's happening quite yet. And that's really it. That's really it. Every every other player you look at, there would be some hemming and hawing about, oh, should we give up what it takes to get this guy? What about the fit? What about the age? What about the injury concerns? So if you if you consider the fact that there is 
probably not a single realistic trade target out there that like I forget all of us, like 80% of us would be like, okay, let's do it. That makes a lot of sense. We're, 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 let's get on board. I think it makes it, I think it is fair to be worried. The one name that I skipped over, which I, who I find interesting. And I know again, Kevin Danishevsky has been on this one for a while is Pascal Siakam. Cause Siakam's like, nobody knows what Toronto's going to do. I don't even know what Siakam's value is around the league. I don't think we know yet at this point, even deep into his career. And I think he's probably, he's, I think he's 30 years old or maybe more, maybe, maybe older. Like what is Siakam? Is Siakam like, is he the second best player on a title team? Can he be like a co one? Like if he's, if he's your one, a can Bronson be your one B or vice versa or something like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. He's just, he's a dynamite player, but even him, if the Raptors ever wanted to trade him, it would be, just it would take a mammoth package, I, I do think, and like I think people would have an issue with that because it's like okay, you traded for Pascal, Pascal Siakam. Are you a contending team? I think a lot of people would say no, um, almost regardless of what they did or d- didn't give up. So, yeah, it's okay to be worried, um, but I also think you have to trust this front office. Um, I think they've given us a reason to trust them through two years, the two plus years, two and a half years, almost three. Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports. But not everyone is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes, detailing how Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good and that's why oakley is the perfect partner for us not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our oakley's and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today also did you know that oakley even offers prism lens technology now i know what you're thinking gmac what the hell is that 
Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Jason M, uh, who's your ideal target with the mid-level exception? Okay, I knew I knew this question was coming, so I did my research. So, again, it's tough because if someone's your ideal target for the mid-level exception, that probably means that they're going to get more than the mid-level exception. So I just wrote, wrote down a shit ton of names. Um, I don't know that there is a perfect target. I think the guy who most people would have at the top of their list right now would be Dante DiVincenzo. Um, so Dante DiVincenzo obviously went to Villanova, you know, former teammate of uh, of uh, definitely Brunson was he? I'm assuming he was a teammate of Hearts too. I should know that, but definitely a teammate of of Brunson's. Um, had the four point has a four point five million dollar player option. I would imagine he's going to decline that. Uh, that's a guy who, like, he could he could serve. He's he's a he's a three and D wing, and he gives you a little bit more than that. Does he want to leave Golden State? Um, is it going to be his choice? Everybody has speculated that Golden State is going to have to shed money, and I mean, there are people talking about: Are they going to be able to shed Jordan Poole? Are they going to try to shed Andrew Wiggins? Um, you know, so the notion that they're going to pay to keep Dante DiVincenzo, I don't know about that. I I, I think Dante DiVincenzo is worth the full mid-level. Uh, I think he makes your team better. I think the chemistry thing with him and and the other Villanova guys, I mean, it's obvious. Um, so, yeah, I think he would be great. Um, he'd definitely be number one on my list by far. A guy who made himself a lot of money during... So I, I want to just pivot to the Miami guys. Gabe Vincent made himself a lot of money during this playoff run. I don't necessarily... I don't see... Because Gabe Vincent, you're not going to play him with Jalen Brunson. So if you're going to... if you're gonna, And I think actually Gabe Vincent may have played himself out of $12 million, but you never know. Maybe maybe I'm over overestimating it because we just saw this guy and he was pretty awesome against the Knicks. Um, I don't think that makes sense. Of the two guys, the other guy being Max Struess, I think Struess probably makes a little bit more sense. Struz is streaky, but he's also something that the Knicks don't have, which is a guy who could legitimately shoot off movement. You know, he's not Clay Thompson, but he he could shoot off movement. You have to honor that shot. And he's also just a big body. And I mean, he's you can't is he a strong defender? No, but he's not a weak spot. I don't think he's a weak defender. I think he could he could function very well in a good defensive scheme. I think he would function fine in the Knicks defensive scheme. Um He's very comfortable in the role where all he's doing is firing away. And when you when you have someone that could fire off movement like that, and you can put the ball on the floor a little bit, but when you have someone who could fire off movement like that, like you, it, you don't have to worry as much about the Bullock stuff that we worried about a couple of years ago because he doesn't like you can't really run that guy off the line because he doesn't need a lot of room and. He's big, and the other team, especially in this offense, 
they're going to put their weakest defender on Max Struess like we tried to do, and it didn't always work out so great. Um, so I, I would, I don't know if, I, if Max Struess is worth you know twelve million dollars, uh, but he's a guy that I would at least look at. Um, Bruce Brown as a player option, I don't know that Bruce Brown makes sense for this team unless there's a rejiggering of the roster because part of why Bruce Brown functions so well in Denver is because Denver has shooting literally everywhere on the floor. And the fact that Bruce Brown is an inconsistent three-point shooter, he could still operate. And oh, by the way, what does Bruce Brown do better than or as well as anyone in the league? He cuts. What does Denver have? Maybe the best, like in the history of basketball, the guy who hits cutters better than literally anyone because He's maybe a top five or 10 passer of all time, and he's seven feet tall. So I don't know if Bruce Brown makes a lot of sense, but he's a guy that, again, if if the roster looked a little bit differently, I would like. I don't think it makes sense for this roster. Um, let me throw a couple. Tory Craig is like... Tory Craig's a good player. You know, he, he could defend a little bit. Like, he shot well from three this year. And yet... Like he was just, he seemed like such an uninspiring choice to the point where he didn't seem like the answer in Phoenix when on paper he should have been the obvious answer as the fifth guy in Phoenix. So, like, why wasn't he the obvious? Like, if a guy is not the obvious fifth guy alongside Kevin freaking Durant and, and Devin Booker, why is he going to help the Knicks? You know, so I don't, I don't know about that one. Um, I'm give you a couple more. I'm curious what Rui Hachimura's market is, because if the Lakers do go for Kyrie, they're just they're going to have to get rid of the the Hachimura cap hold, and so Hachimura is just going to be a restricted uh, or an unrestricted free agent. Um, obviously, this would be contingent on the Knicks moving on from Obi Toppin. I don't know that I I love the fit with Hachimura on the Knicks. Like, he's not a great defender, but I, I don't think he's a. I think he's a Bad defender. I think he, he could play a little bit of defense. He seemed like he played a little little defense for the Lakers this year. Um, and man, the dude, he could he's not a great three-point shooter, but as we've seen in so many different ways, you don't need to be a great three-point shooter to really juice an offense. And that dude could juice an offense. And I think he's going to get better and better and better. I think Washington over the, the last couple of years, you could look at it as a situation where like, don't take what a guy did in Washington as evidence of like what they're going to be as an NBA player. Um, that maybe that dude's even better than he's let on in this Lakers run. So that's a, that's another guy. And then the last guy I want to throw out there, and this would be, I don't even know what would need to happen for us to be in the market for this guy. Cause like if we trade Mitch, I'm assuming Hardenstein's still going to be here. Hardenstein's not going to start. So like, I can't imagine a world where we're in the market for a backup center. But this is all just to say, I really like Nas Reed. I think Nas Reed's a really good player. And I don't... He like, kind of sort of fell out of favor at times in, in Minnesota. That's a dude who... Could, he's a center who could defend and hit three-pointers. So like, you know, someone's going to pay that guy. He's an unrestricted free agent. He can go anywhere he wants. Again, it, it, it makes no sense for the Knicks to, to as their roster is currently constructed right now. But I like Nasri. And then there are guys who you're going to hear the Knicks be connected to who I just want nothing to do with. Like guys like Malik Beasley. Um, pass. Please pass. Um, you know, Kelly Oubre always seems to get linked to the Knicks. 
Uh, I, it's, no, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Um, yeah, those will be guys that I that I'm interested in. Drew P. Which star is more likely ideal? Giannis or Joel? Well, Joel is definitely more likely. I, I, if the if the Bucks trade Giannis and Tedekumbo, they should just fold their franchise. Mm. In terms of more ideal, um, Giannis. Giannis. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I think Giannis, there's still an argument that, I mean, Jokic now has made it interesting, though, in terms of who's the best player in the league. In terms of guy you want for 82 games and then the guy you want for 16 games. But Giannis is still whatever. He's in the top two or three of that discussion, and he's going to be there for years. And um, you want to talk about a guy that I have full faith that would work uh, just fine with Jalen Brunson? Giannis. Um, okay. Thanks, Drew. Andrew's telling me to shorten my answers just a tad that we're already running behind. I This is a guy I never know. I don't know. Do we have like five questions or... 20. Now I have an idea. Okay. Corey, which conference you are rooting for in the finals? Um, I don't know that I care. Uh, I'll root against Boston if they get there. If they pull this off, I'll root against Boston. I'll root for Denver. If it's Denver, Miami, I know I should be rooting for Denver. I don't know. I mean, I could, I could, I could sit here and I'd be like, oh, absolutely. I'd be rooting for Denver, but I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I don't know that I care. Thanks, Corey. Uh, Joseph J. What's going on, Joseph? The Gobert, Mitchell, Murray, Kyrie, and KD trades all fell short badly this season. Um, does the market for a superstar reset this offseason? Absolutely not. Thank, hope so. Thanks, KFS. So throw the Gobert trade out. That was um, mystifying throughout the entire league the second it happened. Um, throw that out the window. The Mitchell trade... I, I don't know. I, I think the Mitchell trade worked out. I mean, I think that I here, how about this? Here's a hot take. I think the Cavs would do the Mitchell trade again, even with Laurie Markin and turning it into what he turned into. Might seem like a crazy hot take. I think they do it again. Donovan Mitchell was, wasn't he fifth in MVP voting or sixth, fifth, sixth, whatever. Um, the DeJounte Murray trade, that was another one where it was like Atlanta, a little desperate there. Uh, that trade felt a little desperate. It felt like, Oh, we got to do something. We got to switch things up. Like, hey, let's put another point guard next to Trey Young. Can it work? Maybe it'll work. I don't know. They gave up a lot to figure to try to find out. And there were other or, or issues in that organization that, you know, like DeJounte Murray is a good player. But again, that's like a trade that like when it happened, it was like, whoa, that's a that's a hefty price. Kyrie, I mean, you, uh, you can't. I'd even have a conversation about Kyrie Irving. Um Desperate, desperate organization. What are all these things? What are all these things have in common? Gobert trade, Murray trade, Kyrie trade. Desperate organization, desperate organization, desperate organization. The Durant trade is like that's new owner syndrome, and that's a new owner being like, "What you're sitting here quibbling over Macau Bridges? Fuck, f that. Get me Kevin Durant." I don't think any of this stuff really resets anything. Because it, you go back a year, two years, three years, there's there's literally just one trade in recent NBA memory that what seemed like it was so far below the sticker price. And that was the that was the Kawhi Leonard trade to Toronto. And that was such an anomaly. 
because the dude had played nine games and he was a year away from free agency and like San Antonio for reasons that still remain a little unclear like valued DeMar DeRozan in that trade and like DeMar DeRozan is a nice player he's made you know an all NBA team since then but like like why 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 is that what you value? Like that was just a weird thing. And like, who knows? Maybe there's some weird anomalous thing out there anyway. But like I the star trade market is, is what it is. It, it ain't going nowhere. <clears throat> Unfortunately. Uh Frank Miranda, what's going on, Frank? What's up, Mac? It's your boy Frank from Patreon. Instead of trading for an MVP caliber player, the Knicks should parse their assets and trade for two wing all-star players. RJ to the Bulls for Levine, Randall for PG 13. Okay, so Let's take these one at a time. The PG-13 conversation is part of the reason it's tough is because PG-13, Paul George and Julius Randle, my understanding is those guys are very good friends. And I would bet you, uh, I'll bet you a donut that if they trade for Paul George, it ain't Randle going out in the trade. Um, it, w- it would be probably RJ and young pieces and draft picks and whatever else. And they would try to have a three-headed monster of Paul George, Julius Randle, and and Jalen Brunson. And uh, spoiler, I think that that might work pretty well. Um, I don't think they're trading Paul George. Uh, if they could get Paul George for Julius Randle and like a few picks, I mean, sign on the dotted line. I just don't think it's realistic. RJ to the Bulls for Levine. Oh, man. You want to talk about something that would tear this fan base apart? And I don't mean like the fan base would be universally against that trade. I actually think there are a lot of fans like you who would be for the trade. I think those that that section of fans would be much um, less vocal than the segment of the fan base that would be against the trade. Um, like if you're comparing RJ Barrett to Zach Levine as as basketball players over the larger sample size of like, you know, RJ has been it just even like the last two years or this year, whatever sample size you want to take that extends more than just the playoffs. Like Levine's a much better player. You know, there's no question about that. Levine's a much better player. Um, When he's on, he's one of the 10, he's one of the 10 to 15, but man, 10, when he's on, he's one of the 15 best players and offensive players in basketball. That has real value. But, but he goes through slumps. When he's going through a slump, he is the sort of player that, unlike truly great players who can find ways to help your team even when their shot is not falling, Zach Levine, I think, is a little bit closer to the Julius Randle end of the... Um, of the of the scale where it's like if that dude's not hitting shots he's actually actively hurting you because you're getting missed shots along with poor decision making and my god is there some poor decision making in terms of both shot selection and other things that come with Zach Levine to say nothing of the defense which is not as bad as advertised but it's also again not good and you, like Space cadet moments at like really inopportune times with Levine. So, my question with Levine is more like if that dude is one of your three best players, 
And he's going to be one of your three best players because he makes $40 million and he shoots. He, he wants to have the ball in his hands. He's going to have, he's going to have the ball a ton. That's the problem. It's like when you have a guy in your team, it's like the Julius, it is really the Julius Randle question. When you have a guy that's going to have the ball in his hands that much, are you ever going to win the ultimate prize when you're relying on that dude so much in terms of the decision-making and when he has to be on the floor so much that you got to deal with the defense and you already have Jalen Brunson on your team who is not a strong defender. So now you're going to add another weak defender and a guy that like very much takes the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands. I don't see it. I don't see it. He's, he's not, he's not the guy that, that I, I want to make a move for. Um, Andrew Abraham. What's going on, Andrew? John, do you want Booker if he's available in the trade market? I'm trying to think of how many players I would want before Devin Booker. I don't know that there are five players in the league that I would want to trade for before Devin Booker, but Devin Booker is um, not available on the trade market. And uh, if he ever was, I don't think we would be able to get him. Uh, Emil Bumansor, what's going on, Emil? I just want to say, watching other teams, i.e. Denver and the Lakers, tells me we have a long way to go. We need to be realistic with trading and firing people. Keep growing and finding pieces that fit. Well, no surprise here. Emil uh, always has good, thoughtful comments, and this is extraordinarily thought, uh, thoughtful. Um, I'm not going to go on a rant right now, um, but obviously there have been a lot of opinions out there that uh, certain people can't get over certain coaches because they're like, if it wasn't for these few decisions, we would be up. Well, now 3-1, I guess, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And we'd be marching on our way to the NBA Finals. I'm not so sure about that. Um, as Boston reminded everybody uh, last night, still a very good team. And Miami's really good. And Denver is really, really, really good. And like, I guarantee you, whoever is raising that trophy in three weeks... No one's going to be looking at them being like, man, what a weak champion. What a weak champion that the NBA crowned this year. No one's going to be saying that. And I completely agree with you, Emil. I think we do have maybe not a long way to go, but like long enough of a way to go where the notion of like, you know, we, 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 where we have to like with fire the coach. I don't agree with that, obviously, but and also that like you need to make trades this off season because we're like this small move away or that small move away. I I, I don't I don't know about that. I, I don't know if this I don't know if this team's year is next year, um, or even the year after that. Um, I agree with continuing to grow. I can I agree with continuing to to find pieces that fit, and I'll double down on what I've been saying a few times. The most important thing they could do this off season is not make the wrong move, and that includes like firing the wrong person. Juanon, what's going on, Juanon? Three questions. Okay, here we go. Number one, Randall or RJ, which one is gone? If I had to bet on it right now, I would say RJ is gone. Um, of the two, I would keep RJ and I would try to trade Randall, even if I'm not getting as much back for Randall, uh, which I'm not so sure is the case, by the way. Um, and by the way, I think they would be a worse regular season team in that case. Uh, two, do you see Houston looking at a guy like Randall to supplement the incoming Harden acquisition? I've had Houston circled in my book for 
ever since the Knicks season ended and I've been trying to think of like potential moves this summer, potential teams that could look at Julius Randle and be like, we want him. We think he is part of our solution. I keep coming back to Houston. It might be crazy. It might be insane. Part of it is because uh, Randall is from Texas. I know he's from the Dallas area. He's not from Houston. Um, but if there's a team that, I, that again, they have made no bones, no, no, no effort to, to hide their desire to, they want to win again this year. They have a pick out the door in this upcoming draft and just being like, let's get, we just got to get talent in the door. What's the best talent we could get in the door. That's not going to cost us an arm and a leg. I could see it being Julius Randle. That's just, and that's not something I, I have heard anything about. That's just me trying to read, like read the room. Could be dead wrong. Uh, three with the Raptors hiring Steve Nash impact, RJ Barrett's value to Toronto. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think they're, smart organization and they're not to say that they wouldn't go for RJ. I think they may very well go for RJ, but I don't think their hiring of a coach would impact that. Juanon with two more. Thank you, Ju. Thank you. Very, very generous of you, Juanon. Appreciate it. Seriously. Last two questions. One, can we get a 2024 prediction pod with Robert Cross detailing why he's predicting 53 wins again? Uh, yeah, coming coming to an offseason podcast near you. And two, will 53 wins be enough to uh, for the top spot in the East? Will the will the will the East champ next year win at least 53 games? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. And I don't think it's going to be the next. Robert Cross, hello, speak of the devil. It's your boy, John. Can we move off Kevin Danishevsky in the offseason? I feel like Brooklyn could use all the fans they can get in their community. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Hashtag 53 wins. Why are you coming after Kevin Danishevsky? What can Kevin Danishevsky do to you? Because he's trying to acquire uh, trying to acquire Pascal Siakam? Uh, is something else? Maybe? I don't know. Siakam's a good player. I like Siakam. I don't know if I... I wouldn't hate it if they went and got Siakam. But uh, no, I, I love having Kevin in his fan base and, and we don't want to send him anywhere. You, on the other hand, 